There seems to be something missing about the resurrection in our modern Western Christian world in both how we celebrate it and in how we talk about it. When we speak about and celebrate the resurrection Easter Day, we often do so in a manner that presents the resurrection of Christ as the end of something, the end of death, the end of suffering, the end of history, or maybe even more practically, the end of Lent and our 40 days of prayer, fasting, and penance. Our Easter Sunday celebrations are normally quite glorious, aren't they? They're usually filled with laughter, food, music, rest, and quality family time. Yet they usually end after Easter Day, don't they? After fasting for 40 days, we are invited to celebrate and feast for 50 but our celebration too often concludes after one glorious afternoon. Kind of like the grand finale of a fireworks show. In a sense, the same could be said about how priests often approach the resurrection in our Easter homilies. We often reflect on heaven, how Christ wants us to share in his eternal home. We hone in on St. Paul's command in his letter to the Colossians to seek that which is above. We welcome and we invite the large Easter crowds to ponder God's eternal kingdom as the aim or direction of our life. We remind ourselves and others that the resurrection teaches us that we are pilgrims on a journey towards our heavenly homeland. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm actually not criticizing these things. I'm not suggesting that our Easter celebrations or our homiletic invitations are wrong or even theologically inaccurate. Rather, my concern is that they seem incomplete. Is the resurrection really just an end to something, something that has passed, or will come to pass? Or could we say that it is the beginning of something new? Something that happens to us in the here and now. In the New Testament, the Greek word for resurrection is anastasis, which literally means a standing up. Standing up implies not just an end to lying down, but a readiness to move, to respond, to be put into action. This is why we stand at the words of the gospel in the Mass. We hear the words of Christ, and we physically prepare ourselves to be moved and changed by our Lord's words. In addition, When the Gospels speak of the resurrection of Christ, they do not speak of it merely as an end of Christ's death, but the beginning of his new life, which animates the church and sets her into motion and the proclamation of the gospel to the whole world. 
The Acts of the Apostles, what some refer to as the second volume of Luke's Gospel, offers a beautiful overview of how the Spirit of the risen Christ poured into the lives of the Apostles gives them a share in his anastasis and in his power and mission to recreate the world through the recreation of human hearts. It is the power of the risen Christ that gives birth to the church, the mystery of Pentecost. When carefully examined, we realize that the Gospels offer very little commentary on what actually happens in the afterlife, and even what the end of the world will look like when Jesus returns in glory. Pope Benedict XVI says that this is exactly why the Easter season is filled with so many different signs and symbols, because we struggle to imagine or envision what Christ's return in glory will actually look like. Instead, the resurrection is focused on something quite different. The transformed and animated lives of those who come into contact with the risen Christ. In light of this, I think we can say that tonight's celebration and tomorrow's is something more than an end of a season of intense fasting, prayer, penance, pain, and suffering. Rather, it is the beginning of something new and marvelous that Jesus Christ desires to do to the world through what he first desires to do in us. Now, this is really, really good news, especially during this particular time of crisis. Why? Well, if the resurrection is merely an end to a period of penance and suffering, then this Easter is a letdown. It is deprived of its efficacy. As we all know, today, tonight, is not the end of our time of sheltering in place. We are likely far from experiencing the end of the coronavirus and its effects, and consequently, the end of the suspension of public masses. If such suffering must continue, and Easter is primarily an end to suffering, then how can we really celebrate this Easter? Until Easter is understood as the beginning of something powerful that happens to us now, this year's celebration will lack the joy and hope that it demands. What then is this recreation that the Easter mystery seeks to bring about? And how can the resurrection transform us and the world in the absence of our ability to gather a church and receive the Blessed Sacrament? I think our gospel answers this question. What exactly did Mary Magdalene and the other Mary encounter when they arrived at the burial place of our Lord? An empty tomb. They encountered an absence. The absence of Jesus. What did the angel at the tomb say to them? That Jesus Christ, the one whom they were seeking, was not there. 
that he was somewhere else. They first had to encounter his absence before they could be led to encounter where to discover his presence. In his first volume of a commentary on St. Matthew's Gospel, Erasmo Leiva Merikakis, and I never get tired of saying that name, says this, Absence is an appeal for love's presence and visitation. Let that sink in for a moment. Absence is an appeal for love's presence and visitation. The nature of love is to go where there is loss and emptiness, where there is a void. Love seeks to permeate places of absence. Over the past month, we have all experienced absence, haven't we? The faithful of God feel the absence of work, specific family members, and above all, the Eucharist. Priests feel the absence of their people, especially when they celebrate the Mass, especially right now. In a sense, you could say that priests have found themselves somewhat displaced and separated from their spiritual bride, in a state of what we could call vocational vertigo. Yet in the midst of experiencing this real absence in our lives, we are all posed with a critical decision. To attempt to fill this void with something else, maybe like a new digital activism, one that seeks to entirely replace our work, relationships, our routine. Or to allow this absence to be an opportunity for the love that emanates from the spirit of the risen Christ to flood our lives and inspire us to ponder more deeply the nature of who we are. If we are receptive to it, the absence we are all experiencing can provide fertile ground for the Holy Spirit to guide us in asking and answering some of the deepest metaphysical questions about our life that we have likely ignored in the busyness of our daily lives. Just as the empty tomb, the absence of Jesus Christ, shattered the expectations and the worldview of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and left them desperately pondering what all this might mean, the absence we are encountering through the coronavirus pandemic has the power to do the same in us. In the experience of absence, we are given the gift of recalibrating and recentering our lives on what really matters, who we are in Jesus Christ. You know, as Catholics, and I love being Catholic, we love our theoretical and theological propositions, don't we? Our church documents are saturated with different theologies about the priesthood, the laity, the domestic church, and so many others. And yet we have to ask ourselves, 
Are all these theological propositions lived out in praxis? You know, we say that our dignity comes from who we are and not merely from what we do. But is that our lived experience? When many of our responsibilities were either diminished or removed from our daily routine, when we were ordered to shelter in place, did we not feel somewhat lost and confused? If such daily tasks do not define us, why then do we struggle so much and feel lost in their absence? Might this tension suggest that we haven't fully embraced our deepest identity in who we are rather than merely in what we do? Personally speaking, the absence of some of my normal daily responsibilities and the lack of access to parishioners and parish families has caused me to ponder more deeply the meaning and lived experience of our priestly fraternity here in Flagstaff and throughout the entire Diocese of Phoenix. We call ourselves brother priests, and deep down inside, we all believe this to be true. But this past month has challenged us to examine if we are authentically living this brotherhood as God intends. In my personal opinion, this time of shelter in place has been a valuable lesson, a beautiful lesson, in what it truly means to live as spiritual brothers. And I think it's revealed to us that there is more recreation that is needed even in the lives of priests. Catholic theology teaches that the home is a kind of domestic church, a place not only for family life, but also a place to encounter God's love, presence, and mercy. This time of absence from the Blessed Sacrament is a spirit-filled opportunity for families to examine if the lived experience of their home life is indeed an authentic reflection of the theological truth that they profess. During this time, we should ask ourselves, is our home the domestic church that we believe and say it is? Is it a place where God's love, presence, and mercy dwell in abundance? Over the past few weeks, I have heard beautiful stories and I've seen amazing photos from families seeking to transform their homes into places of prayer, creating new environments and routines where Jesus Christ reigns as king of their family. I've seen pictures of living room altars for daily prayer, guest bedrooms transformed into temporary home chapels, and family room windows transformed into paper-taped stained glass. <laughs> I've heard stories of families sharing more meals together in the last month than in the past year, and daily family rosary walks together. Now sure, the lack of the full church environment makes it significantly more difficult to get your children to pay attention to a live stream mass or family prayer time. Many parents have struggled to get their kids to stop going to the fridge during one of Father Matt's homilies. <laughs> They're not that long. 
or to stop doing jumping jacks during the proclamation of the Passion Gospel, or to ignore their phones or toys while praying with the daily Mass readings together. It is certainly easier to avoid these pitfalls when you are praying or celebrating Mass in a church or an adoration chapel. However, the effect that this has over time is that the home and the family life become a place to encounter Jesus Christ in a real and profound way. The experience that our children receive from these struggles is a lived witness of the integrity of faith. From these experiences, faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ is understood as something more than just what goes on in church or at Mass. Faith becomes something that penetrates every aspect of our life. This integrity of faith, the lived dimension of the faith in the home and not just at church, provides our families with a unified vision of reality. And it reduces the temptation to compartmentalize the most important aspect of our life, our relationship with God. When we take the opportunity to confront the deeper questions that arise from our experience of absence, our experience of the empty tomb, the Holy Spirit is given permission to begin to refashion us into new creations. This recreation, this new beginning, and the spiritual fruitfulness that flows from it is precisely the power and meaning of the resurrection and what is too often missing from our lived experience of the Easter mystery. The invitation from the risen Christ to each of us today is the same invitation given to the women in the gospel. Come and see. Come and see the empty tomb. Examine and reflect on the meaning of the absence of Jesus. Permit the spirit of the risen Christ to fill this void. Then go and tell, and most especially live what you have seen.